This podcast is brought to you by YearToSuccess.com, a free online course on success. Enroll at YearToSuccess.com. Hello and welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. My name is Bo Bennett. And I'm Ryan Levesque. And Ryan, it's good to be with you again. How are you doing? Likewise. I'm fantastic. How are you, Bo? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Fantastic as well. Who do we got today? Today's guest is John Mabry. John was featured as the cover story of the November 2017 issue of The Toastmaster, Turning Trauma into Triumph, How a Former Actor Overcame Addiction and Helps Others to Do the Same. As a college senior, John was traveling on a highway near Houston, Texas, when a tire blowout sent his car rolling more than 10 times, killing one of his close friends and crushing both of John's legs. His right leg was later amputated. For more than 10 years following the accident, John struggled with addiction, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. John's worked as an actor and stuntman on American TV series like NCIS, ER, and Cold Case, and appeared in movies including Superbad and Sublime. John now works as Director of Public Outreach for Addiction Campuses in Tennessee, and John is also a fellow podcaster, a host of the weekly podcast High Sobriety, and of course, John is a Toastmaster. John Mabry, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks, Bo. Thanks, Ryan. Such an honor to be here. Appreciate uh, appreciate you guys having me. You bet. To start off, John, I want to ask you, a, a, a guy like you, handsome guy with a bright future, finishing up college, obviously you had something very tragic happen to you with the uh, the car accident. How did you go from that situation to finding yourself addicted to opioids and uh, i guess what were you addicted to alcohol as well is that fair to say absolutely yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and you know a number of uh, prescription uh uh medications uh, as well whatever i could I really just i needed some kind of cocktail underneath you know this underneath the surface to kind of help bring the noise level down of, of the trauma and you know the emotional distress that i went through that i didn't address um, it was it was really easy for me to get back up on my foot. <laughs> I was going to say on my feet, but uh, it was easy for me to get back up on my foot uh, after my amputation in terms of the, the physical uh, part of it. Um, the emotional part is where a lot of people struggle and, and what a lot of people don't understand. When you're looking at an amputee, you see physical disability, uh, but there's a whole emotional piece that goes on too with that. And so I immediately started numbing out with, you know, I had access to painkillers. I had 14 surgeries that year after this uh after the accident, before my amputation, so um, you know, pain pills were just a regular part of my uh, daily routine for that year. Had the amputation, and then I, I moved out of uh, Texas, where I was, uh, where I graduated from school, out to California, uh, work on a master's in counseling, and you know, got isolated from my support system, got isolated from my friends and my family, and so I'm out there in this, you know, new country, Southern California, from a, for, for a Texan, just a, it's a whole new world, and um, just kind of was was lying to myself, lying to my doctors to just try to get as as much as I could in terms of prescription medications to to numb out. So it was pretty easy. Uh, uh, but it's not something addiction is just not something one that my family talked about and that my family, you know, recognized as uh, uh, some of the population that can be affected by this. We I always thought it was somebody else. I always thought it was you know, somebody with, with, you know, on the other side of the tracks or in a different part of town or with a different education level than, than what, you know, I was brought up with and what I had, had acquired. 
Um, but the truth is, is uh, I'm, I'm the face of addiction. You, you mentioned, thank you. Uh, you mentioned a uh, handsome man. I, I appreciate that, but uh, I'm absolutely the face of addiction these days. And it happens to anybody and everybody, no matter what your you know economic level or, or, or education level. Um, and what research is showing, what I talk about a lot in my public speaking engagements is there's a, a the real cause of addiction. It, it's the problem isn't with the uh, alcohol or the drugs. The alcohol and the drugs is the solution. Okay, so my, my emotions were screaming. I was so scared. I was so fearful. I'd gone through so much, and my you know I'd see my leg just mangled, and my friend uh, passed away. All these you know bad things had gone on that that year through all my surgeries, um, and so if the alcohol and the drugs was my solution, it was solving my problem. It was bringing my noise level down of all that trauma. You take the drugs and the alcohol away, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm going to freak out, and unless I have some rest. Regular support, unless I, you know, maybe get into a treatment recovery, you know, treatment program, or some twelve-step programs, um, or you know, regular therapy, or all of the above, um, I'm going to keep using the drugs and alcohol to help um, calm my emotions down. So, when somebody who's struggling with with addiction, they are not a bad person. They are a person who is sick. They have some kind of emotional turmoil or physical, you know, ailment or chronic pain that they're struggling with, and the drugs or the alcohol is solving their problem. It may be causing them some major consequences, but it is solving a problem for a period of time. And if it's getting to where the consequences like mine were getting so great, where I'm getting kicked out of the house and I'm moving, you know, living in, in Hollywood and then I end up moving to, to Nashville area and I get kicked out of home and I'm living in a trailer, um, you know, the consequences start piling up and going, man, maybe this isn't working for me anymore. I need a, I need a different solution. And that's when, uh, you know, me getting into into some regular treatment programs uh, was extremely helpful, but I wasn't willing to do that early on. It's like, no, no, that's for other people. Other people are really bad, and they need to go get treatment. Um, but uh, you know, hey, it can happen to anybody. So, so I'd love to tell you, you know, anybody listening out there, if you know somebody that's struggling with addiction, if you yourself are struggling with addiction, you're not a bad person. They are not a bad person. They are just sick, and they need help. John, without getting too political, I guess. Uh, I'm curious, from your perspective, how much, if anything, do you blame, like the current medical system, and their willingness to give you pretty much what you asked for in terms of painkillers, the ongoing? Do you think that was reasonable on their part? Or do you think that there's there's some issues there? Um, I I think the real issue stems from uh, big pharma, the big pharmaceutical companies, we're promoting um, oxycodone, ox- oxycontin, these you know high-powered pills as non-addictive. And there's there's even uh, paperwork out there, and there's there's tons of research out there that shows, and the information out there shows that for years and years and years, big pharmaceutical companies were telling doctors and training doctors that there's a less than one percent chance that a person could become addicted to these pills. So it stems from miseducation from the very beginning, and the doctors were doing what they were told. Now. The doctors are starting to wake up to the fact that, oh my gosh, we got to start putting the brakes on, which is good. So now you have less prescriptions being written for these opioids that are causing people to get addicted to the opioids. The doctor cuts them off. They go to the streets and get pills that are laced with deadly fillers, which is mm-hmm. why we're seeing so many overdoses now. Um, or then they go to heroin. They can't afford the pills anymore. They can't get the pills from the doctor. So they're going to heroin because it's cheap and readily accessible on the street. So you have people who would never, ever, ever consider doing heroin in their entire life. They're about to go through the major withdrawal effects of being hooked on these painkillers that they started off with a prescription from a doctor. Now they're um, withdrawing from it. So they're saying, give me a needle. I will, st- I will do anything to stop this withdrawal. 
And so mm-hmm. that's why we have so many people doing going the overdose route right now is is they're going to the streets for this stuff. So it's good that the doctors are slowing down writing the prescriptions, but now you got more people getting it from an unregulated, you know, pharmacy, which is a guy making this stuff in the, you know, in his shed, you know, in rural America. Mm-hmm. So so I, I see two components here. I don't know if I, I know that you speak to other people and help people through your story. Uh, but do you ever get involved in activism? Yeah, I mean, my right now, I try to stay non-political. I try to stay kind of, you know, in middle ground. Uh, I'm still only two years sober. So I, mean, it's, it's, uh, I still consider myself a newcomer. Um, so I have a lot to learn, but I do have a voice. And I do use that voice to to share my story a lot with um, with organizations around town, uh, with colleges and universities. Right now, I'm, I'm talking with uh, SMU in, in Texas and um, University of North Carolina in Wilmington of, of setting up some talks to go you know, share with kids there. And just educate people. It's really just educating people on practical stuff. I don't want to get into all the politics, but on a practical level, if I can educate an audience on um, somebody who has cancer, okay, it's a chronic disease that if left untreated will kill somebody or can kill somebody. Addiction is a chronic disease that, if left untreated, can kill somebody. Same exact thing. But we look at it. We have always we have looked at it as society as oh, that's a, is a bad stigma with addiction. Those people made that choice. They may they continue to make bad choices. They need to go get fixed on their own. Hmm. You know they deserve the consequences that they have, have have you know acquired, which on some level is true. I deserve some consequences as a result of my actions. Yes, I needed to get kicked out of my house and get fired from you know Dave my my nice job with Dave Dave Ramsey. I needed him to fire me to, to get me to wake up. But do we say with somebody who has cancer, if somebody walks into your office and says, hey, guys, I, I've got cancer, you know, church comes out, you have family members, you have neighbors coming over bringing meals. Hey, we will babysit your kids so, you know, my wife can go with me to my doctor's appointments for my treatments. You know, community surrounds that person and helps that person through it. Even if they get rid of the cancer for a while and it comes back, community is still there to support them. But with addiction – we, we're changing. We're trying to change that conversation to say, "Hey, if somebody is addicted, let's help them out. Let's bring some meals to that. That family is hurting. That whole family is being, you know, affected by the loss of job and the, the you know, the DUIs that maybe somebody acquired. Um, maybe some, you know, uh, financial uh, turmoil. Maybe they gambled money away. Whatever the case is, that we need to surround these people who are hurting uh, in community um, and not expect them to just get better on their own because that that's not, hasn't been working. When we throw people in jail and ex- kick people out into treatment and then expect them to just come back to work and be normal. It's like, man, they, they got to have ongoing support on a regular basis to, to maintain long-term sobriety is, is, you know, what 12 step programs promote. I know you've had multiple stints in rehab, John, and I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned a couple times that you've been sober two years. How much of a struggle is it on sort of a day to day experience for you today? So yeah, great question. People think you kind of you know get over the hump and everything's okay. Um, the problem is, is I I can go through like I have and gone uh, trauma therapy. I, you know, I've done all kinds of different uh, therapeutic modalities to chip away at the big traumas that I had. Um, but what's interesting is that um, let me let me say that I think this is important. Childhood trauma for people um, is a major uh, ordeal that people don't give enough attention to. And it was brought to my attention with a trauma therapist says, I don't care about your car accident. I don't care that your leg got cut off, that your friend died. Um, and for the listeners out there who haven't heard yet, uh, I found my brother uh, dead from an overdose in his home in Beverly Hills when I was in my, in my days acting out in LA. Mm. So I've been affected by it that way as well, finding my best friend um, uh, dead from this disease. 
what the drama therapist says, I don't care about your brother's dying. What I care about was having to you as a child. What happened? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> That's a weird question. And so I had to rack my brain. Asked, the only thing I could come up with is that I had some ear surgeries as a kid. And I said, that wasn't a big deal. And she said, boom, that's where your problem started. So when we went back and unpacked that through multiple sessions, come to find out since I was a child, um, I felt defective, um, insecure. I didn't feel good enough. I felt broken, irreparable. I had six surgeries. I I have a transplanted eardrum and the three bones in my left ear, prosthetic bones that um, I had to fly out of the state for. And so that was a major ordeal once we went back and started looking at it. So childhood trauma could be Hey, if somebody sees their parent get arrested from a domestic violent dispute, the police show up at their house and have to put mom and dad in handcuffs. Um, mom or dad has a uh, you know significant mental impairment or uh, uh, mental health issue or an addiction issue. The kid may not ever suffer from um, addiction necessarily, but just being around that environment can cause a child over time to later on become more apt to being addicted um, and struggle with addiction and mental health issues. So I love telling audiences that if you or somebody you know had, had some, some childhood stuff, go back and look at that because that stuff can, can derail you your entire life. I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that someone who had a career in acting, uh, not to mention someone who's a stuntman, <laughs> would have a fear of public speaking. Can you give us a little bit of context into how John Mabry felt about public speaking before he joined Toastmasters and how you feel about public speaking today? Man, great question. Um, my whole time out in LA, I was, you know, on some kind of mind altering substance, it seemed like. So I never really was present. It was really difficult for me to be present. And the whole point of acting is to be present in the moment. And so it was a real struggle for me to like try to just act normal in a, you know, act, in, you know, in a, in a you got to act uh, truthful in an imaginary circumstance uh, if you're looking at Meisner technique. And so it was really difficult for me to do when I was, when I was altering my, my mind. And, um, so my biggest fear was public speaking. And so the only way I could really do it uh, for the longest time was to have, you know, pills in my system. And so for me to step into Toastmasters, I had my grad school professors had told me in 2005 when I graduated grad school, one of their biggest suggestions was, hey, we think you you should join Toastmasters. It could really help you out on your journey. And I went to one meeting and I didn't go back for years. I was so scared because I had to be truthful and I I wasn't in a place where I could be truthful with myself. And so I moved here to Nashville. I tried again Um, several years later. I went to one or two meetings, scared to death, and I stepped out. So finally, I finally just put myself out there. And said, you know what, I just need to trust that this thing can work because it has worked for so many other people. I'm just one person with one little story and one little problem to overcome. Um, but I put myself out there and I started going to one meeting at a time and started you know, doing some table topics. Started off with some table topics. It was terrifying, but I did it. And next thing you know, I entered the comedy speech uh, contest and I got like – I made it to uh, kind of the city level. And um, then I entered international speech contest last year for the very first time, and I got third in Tennessee. I got third in the state. And I could have never done it on my own, kind of like sobriety. I can't do it on my own. I have I have help along the way. I have constant help along the way. Mm. With Toastmasters, that's the thing is you can be terrified, but you're not going through it alone. You have a team supporting you. You have a group that you get to meet with and you become friends with. Um, and everybody's rooting for you. When I, I went in, I thought everybody's going to be picking me apart. Like, oh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You know, oh, we heard too many ums and ahs. I mean, th- that's a little piece of it, but the, the support that you get is, is unbelievable. 
And so I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today and helping affect change on a on a, on a you know large scale with a, with a podcast and uh, the public speaking I'm doing, TV interviews I'm doing, both local and national. Um, you know, without having a base from Toastmasters uh, to give me the confidence and support that I need to to be able to do what I'm doing. So it's been life changing. Cool. And how does um, how do you see public speaking continuing to be part of your story? moving forward um you know i know you mentioned the podcast you you mentioned that you're working in the i'll call it recovery industry if (laughs) if that would be the term um but but i guess how much bigger do you want it to get in terms of spreading your message and your story yeah so starting off with i'm honestly a little scared right now i gotta be if i'm being uh vulnerable and real had a conversation with a colleague yesterday that I'm kind of scared about how much success I had last year because I've, I've never, this, these are things I've always dreamed of and always seen myself doing in terms of uh, the public speaking engagements I'm doing and, and the, the podcast, uh, high sobriety. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's freaking me out a little bit. And so if I don't talk about that as a person in recovery, if I don't talk about those fears, those are things that can drive me back to it, to addiction and going and, and trying to fill that void with something. So I'm, I'm being real and being honest with you guys right here. I'm kind of scared of the success I had last year. Um, but at the same time, when I talk about it and I let people know what's going on, um, I know it frees me up uh, for not hanging on to that fear but looking to bigger and better things. Um, I, I have a friend that's a, a double amputee named Amy Purdy. Um, she was on Dancing with the Stars, got uh, second place Dancing with the Stars a few years ago. And she's she's spoken with Oprah. Oprah's had her over to her. Uh, a couple of her speaking engagements. Like, I want to do stuff like that. That's the kind of, you know, I want to be able to to share my story and let people know it's okay to be you. It's okay to have flaws. It's okay to not be okay, um, but to still move forward. And if something hasn't worked for you in the past, try something new. And uh, just encourage people to keep going. I've had a lot of excuses to give up through my leg amputation and my brother's death. Um, living in a trailer, but uh, at the same time, it's, it's um, you know, if I can, if I can affect people on a larger scale, I would love more opportunities to do so. So, I'm curious to know, John, how your experience hosting a podcast has perhaps um, challenged you or helped you improve as a communicator. So, I have a producer that helps me out and has helped showed me the ropes. Um, he knows all the ins and outs of the podcast industry where I didn't, and so being open to continually learning and being okay with uh, constructive criticism. You know, I think it's important for, for anybody and any professional. And so after an episode, uh, we'll get done and he'll say, Hey man, that was the best episode you've had yet. And I'm like, why? And he goes, cause you didn't talk so much. You, you know, you let the, you let the interviewee talk. You didn't, you know, cut in, and interrupt them. And so absolutely. I mean, it's still a growth process for me because it's, it's a different medium. It's, it's completely different than, than a live you know, audience or talking to somebody just face to face. And so being willing to, to take constructive criticism and tweak my approach, um, I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes I don't want to hear that I, that I didn't do a great job, but uh, that's One of okay. the worst things you could do is interrupt people as a podcast host. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what I was about to say before I was really interrupted was, uh, <laughs> no, but it's also pushed my boundaries because uh, I've asked people to be on my show that have huge followings and that have uh, uh, the members from Corn. I'm a big Corn uh, hard rock metal fan from over the years. Uh, I've had Brian Head Welch, the guitarist, uh, on my show. I've had the drummer uh, Ray Luzier uh, from Corn on the show, and what that's opened up is other celebrities. I've been able to get other celebrities on the, on the calls. That you know, I'm nervous to talk to them, but it pushes it pushes you know my comfort level, pushes me beyond my normal comfort level 
um, to try new things and, and to be okay just talking to anybody and asking anybody, you know, just, you know, whatever's on my mind or whatever I'm curious about or what I think my listeners might be curious about. So always learning, always trying something new, always uh, trying to be okay getting outside of my comfort zone um, as much as possible. John, we talked a lot about trauma on our episode here today, and I have to imagine there are people listening right now who've experienced devastating loss, trauma, maybe are struggling with depression, and I, I know it's difficult to prescribe to the masses, but what advice could you give to someone who's listening right now who is in a, a really dark place and is feeling hopeless? Oh my gosh, please reach out for help. Please reach out. Um, one thing you can do if, if you're really struggling and you need to talk to somebody today to find out what maybe your next steps might be, maybe it's just counseling in your area, finding a counselor or, you know, a church therapy, you know, counselor in your area. Maybe it's a 12 step group. Maybe it's a, an, um, outpatient place where you just go to maybe get some support three or four days a week. And then maybe it's an inpatient treatment facility. Um, but you don't have to go through this alone. Pick up the phone and call addiction campuses. Um, you can call us at 888-614- Two two five one, and we take over thirteen thousand calls a month. People with life and death situations, whose families and their lives are completely falling apart, and we help get them. If it's not into one of our treatment centers, into a treatment center that's going to be the best fit for them, no matter where they are in the country. Um, so please don't go through it alone. Let somebody know what's going on, um, and uh, that would be you know kind of my, my first starter. Second thing I would say is. I, I found through my experience that the medical industry did not serve me the best. Uh, I found in my experience the medical industry wanted to keep me sick. They wanted to keep me coming back for more medications and uh, more money. Um, so I have gone down from 11 medications when I first got out of my first treatment center in 2011. Um, I'm on two medications today. Um, meditation has been huge for me, and it's free. I don't have to go anywhere to do it. Um, I do essential oils. Uh, I've supplemented my medications with with healthy essential oils, diet, and regular exercise. I do boxing at Tidal Boxing Club. Um, that's extremely therapeutic for me. So I encourage people nowadays to look for you know alternative ways than the medical typical medical industry. If you've tried that before and it's not working for you, if you're on some medications, you're on some antidepressants and they're not working for you, maybe try some exercise. Some dietary changes um, can lift moods and, and change um, you know the biology of your body to increase, uh, you know, the, the dopamine and things in, in the brain levels that you're looking to increase through a medication. So don't give up. Don't give up. All right. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate you being on the show today and sharing with us and all of our listeners. That was good. Hey, thank you, you so much, guys. Yeah. Thanks for what you guys do. And, um, anything else down the road, don't hesitate to reach out. All right, cool, man. And before we uh, hang up here, can you just let our listeners know where they can go to learn more about you or to get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm uh, on all social media platforms. I'm John Clint Mabry, J-O-H-N-C-L-I-N-T-M-A-B-R-Y. That's Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, go to High Sobriety on iTunes or uh, anywhere that you would normally download podcasts. And then, uh, again, if you need help, um, support with, uh, with addiction help, call addiction campuses at 888-614-2251. Great. All right. Thank Thanks you so much, John. John. Yeah. Thank you guys. Okay. Keep up the great work you do. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Bo Bennett, host of the Toastmasters podcast. 
Back in 2004, I wrote the book Year to Success, the most complete and practical book on success ever written. Thanks to today's technology, I've turned the book into an online course. Here's the best part. The course is 100% free. Enroll at yeartosuccess.com and work on one personal development idea each day for the next eight months or so. That address is yeartosuccess.com. See you there.